Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel Podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Joshua Stratton. Thanks, guys. Filling in for Dan and singing with you is a ton of fun. All right, so turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible, we got Bibles here. And uh, when I find it, I will tell you what page it's on. You should hear that in student ministry, that they're always racing to see who can yell the page number first. 823, 823, Matthew chapter 18. So, uh, by the way, there is no teen church today. I figured if you're normally listening to me yak downstairs, you can listen to me yak up here. <laughs> Seriously, though, um, I'm actually excited about the message today because I think it applies uh, very, very much to each one of us, and especially in this day and age with uh, some of the things that are happening in our world, um, this, this is something we all need to, to hear. Um, and uh, today, uh, um, well, this week, something happened uh, with uh, uh, somebody that I looked up to and uh, it really made me think. Um, and so there's a pastor, there's a, uh, his name is Joshua Harris, um, and I don't know if anybody knows uh, about him, but he wrote a book, a very popular book back in the late 90s, and um, that influenced me, it influenced my wife, um, and I sat at many conferences, actually, and, and listened to the, the, the pastor and and uh, I remember after one of the one of the um, the sessions, the breakout sessions, I actually you know went up to the guy and talked to him, shook his hand, and met him, and everything, and and just just a lot of really good teaching. Uh, the the church that he pastors, you know, we're talking about thousands of people. And um, this week he came out and said that he no longer considers himself a Christian. And it just like blew me away. And, and I'm not here to talk about this guy's life and all of his different things uh, that, that's happened, but um, it made me really just, like I said, it really impacted my life. In fact, my freshman year of, of college, I um, got into this relationship with this girl. And uh, she, you guys wanna back it back there. She um, ended up, really, there was a big shadow, okay? I wanted to be in a relationship so bad that I could not see that this girl was no good for me. I could not see that this girl, her and I were like on on opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, I just, I really wanted to be in a relationship, and and I love the fact that that somebody liked me. And uh, by God's good grace, after a certain amount of time, she, she dumped me, you know? Can you believe that? (laughs) 
<laughs> she dumped me, you know. And, and it was like, you know, something went off in me like, oh, wow, I almost was making a huge mistake here because um, we were just in two different worlds. She didn't even really trust in Christ. And at that point, my faith had like really been taking off, you know, and God was really working in me. And here I'm like really distracted because of this relationship. And then um, I read this book uh, that, that Joshua Harris wrote, um, a, a, a uh, actually, a second book that he had written um, after the first big one, and um, it really impacted me, and it let me see that God had something for me, and I could wait for it until I was ready to get in a relationship and even consider uh, what relationships are for, romantic relationships are for, which, which is marriage, right? And so I actually stopped dating, and it was hard, um, I didn't do it perfectly, and I'm sure many people would agree with that statement. But uh, I did not date then until my senior year of college. And, and I met this beautiful girl. Her name is Amy, and we got married. Um, and um, that, that advice from that book saved a lot of hardship for me. And a lot of wasted time, honestly. Because all my friends around me, or a lot of them, I had a lot of friends too that, that were trying to apply the book, but a lot, a lot of people around me, even siblings, they were pouring so much time and effort into relationships and getting out of relationships and jumping into the next relationship and all this different stuff is happening and there's, there's a lot of resources and time is being poured into this and I didn't have to do any of that. You know, I was able to, to really invest in and, and develop my faith and invest in other people and develop other relationships. And, and, and I, I was all over the place with, with different organizations that, that I was on leadership teams and stuff like that. And it's just using my time in that way. And I, I always look back to that season of my life as this really strong season of spiritual growth and exploration and who God was. And, and this pastor was an important part of that. And then Monday, he posts, I'm, I'm no longer a Christian. You've got to be kidding me. And so I, I think about this all week. And as I'm thinking about uh, um, what we're going to talk about today, I just, I really felt led to share this with you. And in one breath, it did rock me. Because, like, my faith, I had to sort of evaluate things and what's true, what's not. For me, my faith is not in another leader. It's not in a, another guy or a mentor or a pastor. My faith is found in my relationship with Jesus Christ. And then, <clears throat> moving on from that then, and, and, and maybe some of you have had a, a, a parent or a, a pastor over the years or somebody who you thought was very strong in their faith and, and then you realize they're not, you know, and it rocks you to the core. And I, I hope you can see that, that people are going to make mistakes and people are going to let you down, but our faith is not dependent upon them. It's dependent upon a relationship with Jesus Christ and what we see in his word and our experience of that. So then it, it, it developed more questions in me, and 
And I started to ask the questions like, so what in the world happened to this guy? What happened? How does he look back and, 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 and see this whole 20 some odd years of ministry and a pastor of a church, a megachurch, 2,000 people and influencing, that book sold 1.2 million copies. How do you look back and say, ah, it was a lie. And I think it's, it's one of two things, you know. One, just maybe, just maybe, it's a slim possibility, and I'm not in the business of parsing anybody's life or their relationship with God. That's not why I'm telling you this. This isn't about gossiping about this guy. This is about us evaluating our lives and, and exploring what real faith is and, and then figuring out where to go with this. So that's, that's why I'm saying this. But, but it, it just maybe, in a very small possibility, this guy is still a Christian. He has still has saving faith, just maybe. And he's just in a really rough spot, and some very bad things have happened to him, and I'm not going to get into them. But just maybe through this time, he's, just, he's like seriously reevaluating, and he's just, he's having a really rough time. Now, because of the language and some of the things that he said, that's a very slim possibility. But the hope is, is that he will be redeemed and he will be stronger and better for it and, and, and refined because of what he's going through now. But the other possibility, and like I said, there's really only two here, is that he really never had saving faith. His faith was a lie. Some people on Twitter and Instagram are saying that it's very sad that he lost his faith. It's very sad that, that he, he fell away, that he is no longer a Christian. My friends, I don't think that's possible. It is not possible. If it was possible, then salvation is weak. And in my, my experience, if that's true, then salvation is, is sad. Because Let me explain this for a minute. When you trust in Jesus Christ, when you say you become a Christian, you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the scripture says basically anyone who declares, anyone who believes in their heart and declares that Jesus is Lord, he is saved, believes in their heart, not just acknowledging that Jesus existed, not just believing that Jesus actually did die and maybe even died for your sins, not just saying that God is truly God and you believe that that exists. No, you're saying that I actually believe in him. I'm stepping in him. I'm relating to him. I'm trusting in him. You're saying I believe in Jesus Christ right? This is, this is much different than just an acknowledgement or even following of the rules and regulations. You're saying you, you're stepping into Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it's two seconds left on the clock in the basketball game, and you got to win the game, and who do you give the ball to? You give it to Michael Jordan, because he's the best basketball player who ever lived. Sorry, all you LeBron James fans. 
But that's the truth. You hand the ball to the guy that you know can make the shot. Your best hope, our only hope in this moment, and you hold it up and you give it to him. Our lives, we say, here, Jesus, I believe you and I'm trusting you and I'm stepping into you. And when you do that, you have saving faith, right? But it's even bigger than that. True saving faith is not just forgiveness of sin, it's power over sin. When you trust in Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit, God Himself, comes into you and starts to refine you and change you. And Jesus explains it in John when He's talking to Nicodemus. He says, it's being reborn a new birth, a new you, a new you outside of the power of sin, a new you that is no longer controlled by its sick, twisted schemes, a new, regenerate person. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says that we are a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. They've put their self in Christ. They have faith in Christ. They are a new person. How beautiful and, and all-encompassing is true saving faith. And so for someone to, su to suggest to me that this pastor, this pastor somehow lived his life for 25 years and then just gave up on it, that he just lost his salvation. You are saying that the Holy Spirit, God himself, was not strong enough to hang on to him. And that's a lie. Because Jesus is strong enough and he holds on to us. And when we truly put our faith in him, in that moment we are justified and also redeemed, saved from our sin. Who is saved from something and then dies because of it? Then you truly were not saved. So what happened? His faith was a lie. His faith was a lie. I'm not saying that God didn't use it. I'm not saying there wasn't some awesome things that happened because of his ministry. But real saving faith was not his. And I pray that he finds it. And today we've got to evaluate ourselves that we take a hard look. Am I, I don't want to look back in 10 years and go, whoa, my faith was a lie? In Matthew, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is, he's concerned about this. And his disciples, man, they're, they are foggy on faith. And they're constantly throwing things out. And Jesus, over and over again, through the, the Gospels, is explaining to them what true, real faith looked like. And that's what we're going to pick up here in, in verses 1 through 6. And we're going to see, in, in the next two weeks, I'm preaching this week and next week, we're going to see two clear examples of how, you know, when is faith a lie. 
And the first one, this, this week we're going to see, that faith is alive when it's all about you. When it's about you and, and your status and, and who you can be and what you can get. And we'll flesh this out. Next week, we're going to talk all Come back next week. Invite your friends next week because this touches every single person's life. Next week, so faith is a lie. You see it when it's when you're you're holding on, when you cannot let go, and you you constantly struggle with what people owe you. The very foundation of Christianity is based in the love of Jesus Christ, a God who forgives. When you, when you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, he says, you owe me nothing. True, authentic faith does not hold on. It, it lets go. It does not say, you owe me. And so next week, we'll be fleshing that out. And I think it'll be a real blessing. Some, some of you guys have some real hurts, some real struggles, some real things that's weighing on you. And I, you might get some relief next week. I hope you come. Um, but for now, let's, let's look at Matthew chapter 18 and see what God has for us there. And I just want to pray over the reading of God's Word this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your Word. I thank you for for the clarity, Lord, for revealing yourself in it, Lord, for even though some of our leaders fall astray, Lord, your word constantly realigns us, and we can trust it and rely on it no matter what happens. Thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning, and Lord, I pray that none of us would leave here unchanged, Lord, but that we would be touched by the gospel. Speak through me. I know I'm inadequate, but would your Holy Spirit guide us in the name of Jesus? Amen. It says in Matthew 18, it says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them, this is Jesus, and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever curses one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, or I'm sorry, causes one of these little ones to believe in, who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. And these are some, some pretty uh, hard words and uh, some, some clear things. And I, I want to build the scene here. Jesus is with his disciples. He's in Capernaum. It's like his headquarters. Jesus keeps coming back to it. So the people around there know him. He's probably in Peter's house, and the room's full of people because he always attracts a crowd. But many of these people have probably been following him around for some time. These are his disciples. And the closest of his disciples in that room, 
they, they, they've been thinking back and forth between one another and wondering what, what they're going to receive. Like, they are disciples, right? They, disciples of them is like trainees, you know, ones who are like, they're fighting for another position. They're hoping to acquire that next status. And, and in their heads, even though Jesus is pushing them away from this mindset, is this earthly kingdom where Jesus is going to somehow overpower the Romans and set up a new kingdom, powerful, the most powerful in the world. And now, where's my part in all this, okay? And this is what they're thinking. And Jesus doesn't even really answer their question directly. It's kind of like, um, imagine this, if you will. How many, how many people played an instrument in band when they were in high school or whatever, college or whatever. Yeah, you can admit it. Come on, band buddies. That's right. <laughs> Shout out to my band buddies. I love band buddies. I was a band buddy. I loved band. And um, I worked really hard. I wanted to be the best, right? And so I, I, I would um, get the, the best um, piece I could for tryouts. We had tryouts where they would assess us, you know, and if you did really well at it, you could be the first chair, section leader, you know, and so I would work so hard on this and get the most difficult one I could and learn all my rudiments. I played the drums and, and I would go in there and knock it out of the park and everything. And imagine you do that, right? And then the next week when the band instructor posts it on his door, you look, let's see here, my number one, not number one, not number two. I didn't even make the band. What? That's not, I did, I did make the band, by the way. But that's what Jesus is saying here. Here you are asking me, who's going to be number one? And you didn't even get in. Who's going to be number one? Who's going to be number two? How, the, how are we going to distribute the power and he's saying that very mindset is telling me you don't even get into the kingdom of God because you don't get it. It's not about power and prestige and influence, but love and a relationship. So he says, let me explain this to you. And he takes a child. Well, I don't know if it's one of the other disciples' kids or some, some kid who came with their parent just to get a good look at Jesus. We don't know. But he's young, young enough that we're talking like maybe toddler. He's definitely not a teenager or a preteen, which would be like 9, 10, or 11. You know, we're saying a young kid. And he says, you need to be like this child. You need to become this child. You need to not just see yourself, you need to be this child. I've heard a lot of people interpret this in different ways over the years, and some people have suggested that he's talking about, well, a child is an innocent person. 
you know, someone who doesn't have this terrible track record, you know, and, and children are innocent, and they do fun things sometimes in their innocence, and maybe even a little bit gullible. They kind of just blindly follow sometimes, and they're easily molded. But in, in reality, if we're talking about innocence here, children aren't really that innocent. At least mine aren't. But <laughs> you don't really got to teach them how to sin and do stuff against their siblings, you know. I mean, the other day, uh, one of my kids was going, uh, 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 daddy. You know, it's like, yeah, okay. See, kids are innocent, but that can't be what he's talking about here. And in context, if he's saying he's responding to the, the power structure, then I think maybe he's talking about something very different. And, and to explain this, I'm going to use this as an excuse to show you a video of my kid. So um, let's, let's just watch this quick video, okay? Yeah, so I'm training my son to drive, and, uh, you know, I was so good at training uh, my oldest to drive that I figured it was time for Levi to get going, and I said, no, that's ridiculous, right? Because little kids can't drive. They don't even know how to work the horn. They can't even, they can't even use the pedals. And let's be serious, right? Cognitively here, he, he could not operate such a powerful machine because He's a baby. He's a kid. He's down here. That's his status. It's who he is, right? This is what Jesus is saying. You can see yourself as up here and powerful and in charge. You see yourself down here. Think about it as a child, right? When my kids get up in the morning, they don't get up in the morning and fry some eggs. They get up in the morning and they cry and say, Daddy, feed me. They need to be fed. When the youngest of my kids, when the youngest of my kids need to get somewhere, I have to pick them up and take them there. They can't even bathe on their own. They can't even go to the bathroom on their own. Now I'm talking about my youngest kids, not my oldest one. <laughs> and, and this is what I'm talking about here. You have to see yourself. He says, you've got to be down here. It is in this position that we need a daddy. We need a daddy. Not just to, not just to provide for our needs, but a father who's going to guide us from harm. A father who's going to say, don't do that, right? Levi, the other day, is on the stairs, and I come into the stairwell, and I see him there, and he has a ball, and he has decided that, and I'm glad I saw him, he's going to sit on the ball on the stairs. He thinks it's a great idea. <laughs> and, I, and now, at this point, I'm standing here, and he's like, two, he's like here, he's like two steps up from me, and, and I say, buddy, don't do that. And he looks at me, and he's only two, 
but I know he knows what I said. And he looks right at me, and he contemplates what he's about to do. And I said it again, buddy, don't do that, right? And he does it. And he sits on that sucker, and it bounces him back, and he whacks his head on the stair head, and he starts the ball, and I pick him up real quick before he falls all the way down the stairs. It's all right. I told you. That's why you listen to Daddy. Now you're going to time out. <laughs> <laughs> Because he needs to know. And my, what I say, I say it because it's important to his well-being. I'm his protector. I care for him. I don't want to see anything bad happen to them. It's the same thing with our Heavenly Father. And we experience this when we put ourselves down here. And we need a daddy, a good mommy, a good parent, a good loving protector to pick us up, to tell us what to do and what not to do. It's the human condition. We need a father, and no one can escape that. Some people say we can just rest in the, the, the culture, or rest in what's popular, or rest in our democracy, or rest in the laws of the land, but they will all drift unless there is a standard by which we live by. A good, heavenly Father. People look at Christianity and say, they, they say, ah, it's too much of rules and regulations. And I'm not going to lie. Jesus tells us things to do and not do. But when we see ourselves as children, hearing it from a loving father, let me tell you about this father. This, this father, look at this, in verse 12, right? Skip down to verse 12. He says, If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine? This father loves you so much, you are so valuable to him, that even though he's got 99, he goes and finds you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's constantly pursuing those who are in him. And he, that's his love for you. This is the Father and so when he says something, you better believe he's telling it to you because he wants what's best for you. He doesn't want to hurt you. He doesn't want to coerce you. He doesn't want to keep you from something fun. He doesn't want to rob you from the joy of a relationship or rob you from the excitement of a new job or a different career. He's not trying to steal something from you. He's trying to give you life and life to the full. But faith must be more than that. If we look at our Heavenly Father as just the provider, and we look at our Heavenly Father as just as the protector, then we basically say that every time, if I do this, this, and this, I'll get what I want. If I do this, this, and this, I'll find prosperity. But that, that can't be. That cannot be. This world is broken. God 
has us here to affect it and to change it. But this world is consumed with sin. We will see trials. We will see struggles. And our faith must be more than just, if I obey Christ, then I'll get what I want. If that's your faith, it's a lie. And you'll be very disappointed because you're basically saying, I do this, this, and this, and my marriage won't have trouble. I do this, this, and this, and there won't be sickness in my life. I do this, this, and this, and I won't see my kids fall away or struggle. But that is a faith that is a lie. I'm not saying that God doesn't doesn't give us these things and tells that if we follow them, that they will will influence and, and make things better. But the reality is that these disciples, the ones he's talking to right now, say, you need to be like this little kid. They do this, this, and this, and they end up chased out of their own society. They do this, this, and this, and they become prisoners. And they're beaten. And they're flogged. And they're, they're, they're chased like dogs. And they, they end up being crucified and beheaded. And as they're sitting in prison, if their faith was only, Lord, I thought that because I did this, this in your name, that you would give me prosperity. then their faith is a lie and they would say, I am no longer a Christ follower. Because faith has to be more than that. It can't just be the protector. When I went on vacation, we went to this uh, Great Wolf Lodge and um, it's like this big indoor water park thing. And they had three slides specifically for my littlest kids. And then they have this huge park for for um, adults and, and older kids. And I spent some time with the littlest kids just sort of watching them keep recycling around and going down these slides. And Josie and, and Levi are going down the, this easy slide. They had an orange one, then they had a yellow one. And the orange one was very simple and it just had light water and no, no serious anything. You know, it was just very simple. And the, the yellow one, though, was more intense, okay? And it had ridges like this and it was faster and a little longer you know and of course Josie being older she goes down that one has some fun you know and Levi stands at the top of that thing is like I really want to do this but and then he changes his mind and goes down the orange slide then he goes back and sees it again he sees his sister go down again and he thinks I can do this right he's standing there and he wants to do it but he doesn't want to do it now the line is starting to get bigger and I'm standing at the bottom come on buddy you can do it I'm right here right and so he finally does he gets on that thing and he goes and he slides down it and then he panics when he hits the first bump and he flips himself over and the water starts spraying him and then he goes down head first into the water and goes under and it's like the first time the kid's really gone under the water and so I'm like picking him up he's like <laughs> and he starts crying and everything and I'm holding him like it's okay buddy I gotcha I gotcha I gotcha it's okay buddy I gotcha I gotcha and he calms down you know and sometimes our lives are like that right here's our heavenly father calling us to do something we know he's going to do it and there's the, it, it's it's traumatic sometimes I'm not even sure what's going on and it's just traumatic 
things happen and our waves, they come to our lives and it's, it's, it's so difficult. And here I thought I was following your commands and I didn't get the girl. Here I thought I was following your commands and I didn't get the school. And here I thought that you were telling me what to do and I'm still struggling with my finances. Here I thought that this was the way we were supposed to go and my wife has said I want a divorce. And in all this, a real faith, one that we're talking about salvation, it's actually about that relationship with God. Not just what you can get from God. I pick him up and I say, I got you, I got you, I got you. And in the moments that we're so struggling, a real faith sees him and is experiencing him. He never left you. He's never forsaken you. He's going to see you through this messed up world and say, I got you, I got you, I got you. During our vacation, there was a moment where I was separated from all my kids. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. It was a good break. One, one, basically one night, my, my, my oldest daughter went to uh, the beach with uh, my brother-in-law, and then my, my youngest ones went to hang out with Nana and Papa, and Amy and I went to D.C. And uh, we, 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 when we came back, uh, we picked up the youngest kids, and they were so excited to see us. They're jumping up and down. They're, gonna, they're holding, kissing me, and telling me about everything that happened. And when, when the oldest one came home, she's, she's, it's, it's late at night, but she still wants to unload and tell everything that happened. She's sitting on our bed just talking. Blah, blah, and she says something. She says, it is good to be home. I missed you guys. My kids love me. I can't, and all the difficult things that you go through in your, your family and stuff, and yet those moments happen, and it's like it's all worth it. She says, that's home. You know, she, we're home. We're home for her. Be, see, this is, what, this is what we're talking about. The father to the child. You... You are my home. You're my, you're my daddy. You, all this rules and regulations, blah, 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 he's the protector. The, the, he is the reward. He is the thing we really needed. Yeah, I need protected. Yeah, I need taken care of. But he's home. He's our father. And in that relationship, nothing could separate you. Nothing could, it doesn't matter what happens here, it don't matter. We're family, he's adopted me, he's brought me in to this life. He says, I share everything with you, you are mine, I am yours. This is Jesus Christ. This is salvation and nothing else. And I pray and hope that each one of us hears that today and just pauses and, and thinks about what we're doing and takes some steps forward into building that relationship because it is 
beautiful. And Jesus then, he expounds a little bit more on this. And I'm going to say this real quick because I'm out of time. But the last two verses of the section we're studying there says, and if you get this, if you see a relationship with the Father like this and that you're the child, you've basically leveled the playing field. You're not trying to get to the top. Anyone who's trying to dig their way to the top is destroying the people down at the bottom. And a good, good person, a person who understands that and they're in the kingdom and they see themselves as a child, they treat the other children as equals. And they see them as needing a father and they try to cultivate that relationship with them. They try to see themselves of how they can help the marginalized, how we can reach people, the people that we know are far from Jesus, the people that are in our own myth, saved people need encouragement and may even whether it's by inaction or action, may we never be a stumbling block. If you're a stumbling block for someone to, to build that relationship with Jesus Christ, it's, it's like those horrible movies that we've seen, those very difficult movies that we've seen of the Holocaust where the children and their families show up at the camp and they're separated at registration and you see that screaming back and forth and Jesus is saying, it's like that. And I'm saying to you, it's better that you would quickly die than cause that kind of damage. Because he loves us so much. Because he wants that relationship with us. So, today, maybe this has woken something in you. You're saying, I don't have that, I want that. I want to give you an opportunity to just start this journey by praying for that. And I want you to talk to somebody or at least fill out this white card so that somebody can get back to you. And there's a, there's a box on the back that you can check to, to, to just start having that conversation. And I would love to talk to you before you leave today or tell somebody about this before you leave today. And for all of us, when we hear a message like this and we see that maybe we aren't seeing, we've kind of, we've been reaching for the up here instead of humbling ourselves and needing a father. It might mean some major changes need to happen in our lives. And I challenge you with those this morning. But I want, I want to pray together before we uh, uh, do communion and then leave. So let's pray. Let's pray. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, um, for those of you that would love to start that relationship with Jesus Christ, I, 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 I want to give you that opportunity. You can pray, pray a prayer just like this. You can repeat after me. Uh, it's very simple. Heavenly Father, I need a father. I know I need a daddy. Help me with my unbelief. Come into my life and build a relationship with me. And Heavenly Father, I want to pray for our whole church right now and all the families that are represented here. Bless these families. Grow us into your likeness. 
Help us to humble ourselves and, and be in a posture that we accept you as Father. Lord God, use us and mold us into your likeness. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.